0: Sam, you got your Bible? Be making your way this way if you don't mind. Sam's going to read for us uh, Matthew 21, uh, 28 through 32, as we get ready to discuss repentance uh, this evening. Matthew 21, 28 through 32, and I want us to focus on a a very basic definition of repentance. And here it is.
1: But what think ye a certain man had two sons? And he came to the first and said, Son, go work to the day in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they said unto him first, Jesus says unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publican and the harlot go into the kingdom of God before you. For John John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not. Afterwards,
0: that ye might believe him. Okay, thank you. very much. Now notice in that little story Jesus tells about the two sons. The first one said, I'll go work, go into the <laughs> vineyard and work. I'll go. I will not go. And he, then later he repented and went. There's a change. The second son said, I'll go. But then he did not go. Which of them did his father's will? Of course, it was the first one. Jesus has a bigger picture there than just repentance. He's talking to the Jewish people. He said the publicans and harlots will go into the kingdom before you because John came preaching. You wouldn't believe him. And then even after the publicans and harlots believed, you still wouldn't believe. So they're going to be going into the kingdom before you. But notice in that reading, A basic definition of repentance. Basically means to change. To change. That son said, I'm not going to go. And then later he repented and he went. He went. A little bit broader definition there. It's a change of our minds brought on by guilt that leads to a change of conduct. That's basic definition of repentance. Change, change of our mind brought on by guilt that leads to a reformation of life, a change of life. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 41, 42, he said the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And when you go back to Jonah 3 and verse 10, you see there, God saw what they did, how that they turned from the evil they were doing. That's a basic definition of repentance right there. Jesus said they repented. What did they do? God saw their works, that they turned from the evil they were doing. It's a change. It is a turning, a turning. And so we want to explore repentance just a little bit this evening. These lessons today are a little bit of a refresher, baptism and repentance. But we need these. I know I need them. I need them. Some of you remember a basketball coach of a couple of generations ago by the name of John Wooden. What team was that, Roger? UCLA. UCLA. Basketball. Very successful. And a while back, I heard about the first lesson he taught the freshman class of players. He would bring in the freshman class of players, he would sit them down. He said, this is your first lesson from your coach. He would sit them down, and he would talk to them about their socks and their shoelaces. It was a couple hours long, but he made them practice putting on their socks properly putting on their shoes, and lacing up their shoes properly. He claimed that made a huge difference in the way his, his team played. Basics. Basics. We build on the basics. We must never forget the basics. We must know and re-know, re the basics. And this lesson this evening in repentance is huge. It just doesn't get any more important. I think one reason that repentance is so important is because it strikes at the very heart of our rebellion, and that is pride. It strikes right at our pride. You would admit, I would admit right along with you that when we go wrong or when I do wrong, it's usually my pride. Usually my pride. Repentance is difficult because it strikes at the root of our own pride. One preacher said it like this to kind of draw up the importance of repentance. He said, if I die in the pulpit, I want to die preaching repentance. And he said, if I die outside of the pulpit, I want to die practicing repentance. It is very important. Let's, Let's notice some facts together this evening about repentance. Repentance, first of all, involves reception, reception of the gospel message. Before we can repent, we must hear the gospel message. No wonder it is that some of the, the great teachers of the New Testament talked about repentance. Matthew 4 and verse 17, Jesus came preaching repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we understand that John the Baptist had a very similar uh, message. In fact, the passage we looked at this morning from Mark chapter one, four, and five says that that John was in the wilderness and he was preaching a baptism of repentance uh, for the remission of sins. Jesus talked about repentance a whole lot. In Luke chapter five, verse thirty-one and thirty-two, you remember him saying, as the great physician, he said, "I didn't come to call the righteous." To repentance, but sinners to repentance. Those that are whole need not a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners sinners to repentance. Luke 13, 3, our Lord said, Except you repent, what? You shall likewise perish. And we understand from Luke's record in Luke 24, 46, 47, 48. As Luke records the Great Commission, he has it like this. He has Jesus saying that uh, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name among all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so it, it did include baptism, the Great Commission did. It did include, include belief, but it also right there in the middle included uh, repentance. Okay. And so let's think about that um, that part of repentance is reception. We're receiving the gospel message. It's interesting to me, to me when you open up the book of Acts and you go to Acts 2 and Acts 17. Two different complete worlds. The two worlds there that are represented in Acts 2 and then again in Acts 17. The audience in, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, much different audience that Paul has in Acts 17 in Athens. Hugely different. Okay? Two different worlds. In Acts 2, you've got devout Jews gathered together. Okay? Very familiar with scripture. Very familiar with the ceremonies of God. Seeking to please God. On the other hand, in, in the city of Athens, a, a city wholly given over to idolatry, Paul had to start right there with who. In, in the first place, made the world. God that made the world. He started right there. But in both cases, in both cases, Peter in Acts 2 and Paul in Acts 17, they, they brought their, their sermons to a conclusion by emphasizing repentance. Peter in Acts 2 said, Repent and be baptized. And you know, Paul in Acts 17, 30 and 31 said, God has commanded all men everywhere. To repent, for there's a coming judgment day. Now, another interesting thing to me is we think about this receiving uh, the word. Another interesting thing is when you think about those seven churches of Asia in uh, the book of Revelation, chapters two and three of Revelation, those seven churches of Asia, when you examine those, five of the seven messages sent by Christ. Of the messages that Christ sent to these, these seven churches, five of the seven received messages of repentance. Notice three of those with me in your Bibles. Look at, look at Revelation chapter three for a second. Revelation uh, chapter three to, to the church at Sardis, Jesus wrote. Jesus was disappointed in them in this way. He says in Revelation three, And verse 2, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. That's verse 1. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found, this is Christ's big disappointment, I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Okay, You have started a lot of things, but you're dead because you haven't completed these works. And then verse 3, remember then what you received and heard Keep it and repent. Notice that. Repent. Look on down to the the letter to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, 14, and especially look down to verse 19. Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. See the message that Jesus brought was a message to repent, to repent. And we're probably a little bit more familiar familiar with the letter to Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2. And looking at verse number 4, Jesus said to them, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned, you have left uh, your first love. Remember, uh, therefore, from whence you have fallen, and repent, and repent, and do the first works. And so think about this. In both of those worlds of Pentecost and Athens, and now among these seven churches of Asia, the message is, is to repent. Now, notice carefully here what Jesus said in Revelation 3.19. He said, those that I love, I reprove and I rebuke. Okay. We need to search for teaching. As we study the scriptures we want to find scriptures that rebuke us, that reprove us. We want to we have a lot of teaching as we come together concerning that which rebukes us. Paul's instruction uh, is unforgettable there in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Uh, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching We don't need a lot of stories. Okay. Stories and sermons give us breaks and give us a breather, but we don't need a lot of those. Okay? It consumes a lot of time. We need the scriptures. We need we need the reproof of God so that we can receive the message and be able to repent. To repent. I think about that one horrible death. One horrible death. On the cross. When you really let that sink in, you realize how how tragic sin is. What, a, what an awful thing sin is. For, for the Lord to suffer in such a way, to bleed in such a way, reminds us of our sin and why he had to go there. And for the necessity of repenting. We must turn from it. We must turn from How much more do we need to understand? How much, how much more of a message do we need than that? To understand the, the importance of repentance. In Hebrews 6 and verse 6, the Apostle explains that when we start sinning again, when we start abandoning, abandoning Christ and going back into the world, it crucifies Him afresh and, and puts Him up to an open shame. Okay. Do we understand... Do we understand that? Do we understand the relation of our sin and the horrible death that Jesus had to endure? So we need, we need to be able to receive the gospel message in order to repent. A second fact is that repentance involves remorse. 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 This corresponds to the guilt that we've got to we've got to feel. Now, our first ideal here in receiving the word, that corresponds to the definition of repentance in that it begins with a change of mind. Okay. We're not going to have that change of mind without the gospel message coming at us. Okay. Now, second thing about repentance, it involves remorse. And this involves that part where the the change is produced by guilt, by guilt. When we properly receive the gospel message, then we we will experience what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. He calls that godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. Now, godly sorrow is, does not equal repentance, but Paul says there that it leads to repentance. Okay. Feeling sorry is not repentance, but it leads to repentance, which leads to, to, to life. Now, a great example of that is there on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, as Peter is preaching, and he comes to this in verse 36, this Jesus whom you crucified... Notice the directness of that preaching, if you will. Whom you crucified. It's not Mary had a little lamb. Okay. You did this. You crucified. Whom you crucified. God has made both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, what? Pricked, cut to the heart. That's godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Now they've not yet repented because right after this, what does Peter say? He says, repent and be baptized. But when we properly receive the gospel message, we will have godly sorrow. I believe that Peter experienced godly sorrow. Peter. Peter. Good, good old Peter. But Peter denied the Lord those three times. And you read about this in Luke 22, 61 and 62. But He denied the Lord three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Did that lead to his repentance and his restoration to Jesus? Yes, it did eventually, it did. That's godly sorrow. I believe right here in, in Luke 15, as the prodigal son gets ready, makes his decision to come home, that this is an example of godly sorrow. Picking up in Luke 15, uh, 17, as, as the prodigal son, the younger son, is about to come home. It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me, please treat me as one of your hired servants. Servants, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was a great long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and you know the rest. (coughs) Remorse. Remorse. Repentance involves remorse. Here's the truth of the matter. God uses broken things. God uses broken things. When we are experiencing godly sorrow from the reception of the gospel message then we are broken our heart is broken our heart is broken god is in this see it's not just a change of mind brought on by guilt and then a the change of life because of some circumstance in life but no we're changing because god's in the midst of this we feel terrible toward our creator we feel terrible toward our savior Godly sorrow. And that's a broken spirit. God uses broken things. He uses broken soil for gardens. He uses broken bread and broken beans for eating. God uses broken hearts in a very powerful way. In fact, God will not use and cannot cannot use any other heart than a broken heart. Repentance involves remorse. A third fact we need to think about. Repentance involves a reformation of life. A reformed life. Okay, and you can see what we've done here. The definition is a change of mind brought on by guilt that results in a change of conduct, reformation of life. Now, John the Baptist speaks of this in Matthew 3 and verse 8 when he said to the Jews, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance must have fruit behind it. Fruit behind it. It must have a changed life uh, within it. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 28, let him who stole do what? Steal no more. You see, that's a reformed life. What about what is said about the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1.23, there you might remember it says, Now he, and everybody was astounded at this, he who once made havoc of the church, what he who once made havoc of the faith is now preaching that very same faith. The one who used to persecute the Son of God is now preaching the Son of God. That is, that is a reformed life. That's what that is. In Acts 19:19, 19, 19, I, I love going back and reading there in Ephesus how that many of those folks they had been practicing in the false gods there, the idols there, and practicing in the magical arts that were supposed to be uh, performed, and they had books associated with that. And when they heard the gospel message, they built an entire big bonfire and brought all those books and burned those books in the. And the worth of that was, was, was quite costly. Thousands of pieces of silver, it says there. That's reformation, that's reformation. Several years ago, the, the movie came out, um, Fireproof. Many of us watched it. It's a good, good, wholesome movie about, about um, marriage and uh, staying in marriage and having a godly Marriage. The husband, uh, who at first was having trouble uh, in that movie, uh, he was he was having all kinds of troubles. But one trouble was the computer pornography. Okay, and they showed they didn't show the pornography, of course, in the movie. But they showed him being tempted by it and going back to it and having a struggle to stay away from it, and finally. As his dad and the scripture worked on him, finally he comes to the conclusion, I'm not going to stop this until I get rid of this computer and it shows him taking the computer outside into a side yard and taking a baseball bat and beating that computer to death because he was finished with pornography. You see, that's what repentance involves. It's reformation, reformation. Now, it doesn't work to create a long-term plan when it comes to sin, when it comes to repentance, a strategy does not work. Okay, let him who steals steal no more. What if the thief said, "Okay, I'm going to stop stealing, but I'm going to do it a little at a time. Gonna, uh, this week I'm going to take a thousand dollars. You know, next week I'm going to cut it down to maybe eight hundred dollars, or I'm going to st- I'm going to stop stealing from." from poorer people, middle class people, I'm only going to concentrate on the rich, but I'm going to cut it down. I'm going to cut it down. That, that doesn't work. What about the guy who's, you know, right there in Ephesians 4, you'd go to the next verse, 29, let no corrupt communication come out of your house, your mouth, but, um, but that which uh, is used for edifying. Okay? Uh, Paul wants a change not only in their practice of stealing, but also in the practice of cursing and using terrible language and let no corrupt communication. Well, what if you decided I'm going to quit saying bad things? It doesn't work to try to substitute some words. It doesn't work to try to use some kind of slang language in place of your, your terrible, terrible language. You've got to get rid of it. It's got, to, it's got to go. It's got to go. What if an alcoholic decided to stop, but he keeps a pint whiskey around here and there in secret places, just in case he has a stressful day. It doesn't work that way. So repentance involves reformation. And then in the next place, repentance involves restitution, restoration. No doubt about that. Restoring, this is almost natural if a person made in the image of God has a good and honest heart, it's almost natural. It's almost natural if we if we had the time we would go back and read from the law of moses how that this was commanded but it's almost natural it's almost natural you've seen it when we were younger and we were in my grandma and grandpa's uh, backyard and they always let us help clean up i i never liked the riding lawnmower i didn't like i didn't like being on a horse i didn't like being up high i didn't like being on riding more i want to push more but my cousins they loved the riding mower, okay. And one of my cousins uh, got so happy on the riding mower that he went into our neighbor's uh, yard, fence yard, and he, he did some damage to the neighbor's uh, fence. And I remember after that happened, and we cleaned things up, I walked over with my grandpa to see Mr. Langley, our next door neighbor, Mr. Langley. And, and my pop talked to him, and he, my pop, went over there in his overalls and I remember distinctly he from inside his overalls he came out with his wallet. He was ready to pay Mr. Langley whatever he needed to help fix that fence. And of course Mr. Langley was not going to, to receive that. But the ideal of repentance is to restore to restore, to try to make right. To try to make it right. Okay. Of course this is taught in the New Testament. In Luke 19 Around verse 8, it was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is so happy that Jesus is coming to his house. And you let Jesus know, he says, Half my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I restore fourfold. Fourfold. John the Baptist is facing Herod, and Herod has his brother Philip's wife, He said to him, Matthew 14 verse 4, it is not lawful for you to have her, have her. One of the first things we teach our kids, one of the first lessons they learn is this, there are some things that do not belong to you. And another person's wife is one of those things. It is not lawful for you to have her. Potiphar's wife back with Joseph in Genesis 39, she wanted him so very badly, but he looked to her and he said, how can I do this great wickedness before God? And plus, you are his wife. You are his wife. Joseph learned early there were some things that do not belong to us. And among those, let him who stole still no more, among those... If you steal something, what are you going to do? When you learn better, you're going to try to take it back. You're going to try to pay for it. You're going to try to restore it, make it right in some way. And it's the same thing with, with marriages, and divorce. We have got to make that right. You've got to make that right. Well, what if, what if you learn and a person learns about repentance and, and it's too late to make restitution? Suppose you've, ki- suppose you've killed somebody. Well, you do the best you can. Do the best you can. You remember when, when Paul and Silas were in prison there in Philippi in Acts 16 and they had many wounds, many stripes laid upon them. Now, the jailer learned about the gospel. But it was after those stripes were put on the bodies of Paul and Silas. But after he learned, he repented and what did he, what did he start doing? He started washing them. He started addressing their wounds. Now, most likely, he's the one that put those on there or were in charge of the ones that put those on there, but he couldn't do nothing about the wounds being there. He couldn't take those wounds off in some magical way, but he could start. He could do what he could. He could start washing them, and that showed his repentance before long he was baptized. We do what we can. Is it possible to receive... Salvation, is it possible to be able to repent and to be baptized and receive salvation even though you've killed someone? Why sure. What about that? What about the Apostle Paul? Wasn't he involved in the death of Stephen? Did he later repent? Was he later baptized? Did he later become a Christian? He did. What did he do about that? There was nothing he could do about bringing Stephen back. But he could do all he could do for the Lord. And that's what he did. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and and verse 10, chapter 15, verse 10, this is is remarkable. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I labor more abundantly than anyone else. It wasn't a competition to him. He's just simply stating, I'm not going to rest until I can do all I can for the Lord. That's what you do. That's what you do. You do the best you can do. And then this one final idea about repentance. Like baptism this morning, it's a huge subject. Repentance is too. And so we're we're only mentioning just a few ideas. That could be expanded upon. And the fifth idea is this. To make it real. To make it real. I think that's where we'll just close tonight. To make it real. We've got to make repentance real. You see, repentance is not just associating with other religious people. That's what John the Baptist is saying there in Matthew 3 when he said to the Jews, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And then he said this, and think not to say within yourselves, we've got Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that Abraham, or that God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. They were trying to claim an association with the past, they were trying to claim a religious heritage, and so therefore they didn't need the preaching of John the Baptist. John said, no, you need this. You need to repent. So it's just not, an associ- it's just not associating with other religious people. We've got to make it real. Make it real. Turn with me quickly to Proverbs 28 and 13. Notice this as well. It's not just trying to cover our sin. Cover our sin. That's... There's more to repentance than just trying to cover our sin. That's some of the first reactions that that most humans have when they know they've done something wrong. How can I cover this up? And it's pretty easy to cover from other people. It's not that hard. People do it all the time. But there's no covering our sin from God. Notice this in Proverbs uh, 28, 13. Proverbs 28, 13 Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them, he will obtain mercy. Don't you want to be part of that second verse? Second part of that verse. Whoever conceals his transgression will never prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain, will get mercy. See, repentance is more than just trying to cover our sin. Repentance is more than just being sorry. It's more than just being sorry. I want us to think in reality with with repentance. Make it real. Personally real for yourself. It's more than just being sorry. Judas was sorry. He did a lot to show that he regretted what he had done to Christ. He brought the... Pieces of silver back. We read it there in Matthew 27, 3 and 4. He brings that silver back. He even says some things. What does he say? He even says, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. The Jews looked at him and said, what is that to us? We've got what we need out of you. What is that to us? He goes out and he hangs himself. See That doesn't work. That's not repentance. He was sorry, but it wasn't a godly sorrow. It wasn't a godly sorrow. Jesus comments about Judas in John 17, verse 12. He tells the Father in prayer, it's a very touching prayer. He says, Father, all these that you have given me, talking about his disciples, I have kept them. Not one of them have gone astray except for the son of destruction. That's Judas. I didn't lose a single one of them, Father, except. For none of them are lost except for Judas. Let's make it real. Let's make it real. Repentance is more than just being fearful. James 2.19 says that the demons believe and do what? Tremble. tremble. When Paul brought the gospel before Felix, Acts 24 and 25, Felix trembled. He trembled. The jailer, Acts 16.29, when that earthquake came there in Philippi, the jailer fell down on the floor and he was trembling. He wasn't yet saved. From his sins, he's trembling. You see, it's it's more than just being afraid. It's more than just being fearful. It's actually a, a change of mind brought on by real guilt, guilt with God inside of it that brings about a reformational life that is directed by the Scriptures. Let's make it real. Now, what can cause me Make it real. I know this growing up. I felt terrible when I disappointed my daddy. He didn't have to do much. And as I think about that, I think about Luke 22 and Peter. And before Peter wept bitterly, he got that look from Jesus. Have you read about that lately? Let your Bibles open at Luke 22, 60, 61, and 62. And notice that after that cock crowed, Jesus looked at Peter. Jesus looked at him with, with love and disappointment. My daddy looked at me that way several times. But I hated to disappoint. Maybe the one motivating factor above all the other motivating factors that will help us to repent and teach repentance is to think about the fact that we'll be disappointed. If we don't repent, if we don't teach it, then we will disappoint our Master. And we don't want to do that. No one loves us like the Lord. We don't want to disappoint Him. Will you come this evening as we stand together, as we sing right now?